This is a Federal News Network podcast. With all of the intelligence policy debates of the last few years, people sometimes forget the CIA has a kinetic operational role in dangerous places throughout the world. For what it looks like, we turn to a retired 26-year veteran of those foreign assignments, Mark Polymeropoulos. Mr. Polymeropoulos, good to have you on. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Just briefly review your career. You were kind of in and out of headquarters, but you also carried guns and did dangerous stuff far away. Well, I mean, you know, first and foremost, I had a 26-year career that was not really remarkable in the sense a lot of people do this. You know, there are many heroes behind the scenes at CIA. So I was one of many. But sure, I spent 26 years, a lot of time in war zones in Iraq and Afghanistan, other times overseas service, and then back at our headquarters as well in, uh, in McLean, Virginia. And when one is overseas for an extended period, I guess it may be a year or two, would that be fair to say? Yeah, sure. So our assignments can vary, you know, whether it's a temporary assignment or several years. So it it all just depends. Sometimes you're in war zones without your family, and then sometimes you are just posted abroad. Yeah, so it can almost feel like State Department as opposed to the DOD, for example. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, one of the misnomers about CIA is that, you know, we, we actually do carry guns and, you know, are dressed in 511 tactical gear. I always joke that as for an operations officer, one of the greatest talents is your ability to type. You know, you have to be able to listen and you have to be able to put down on paper what you're reporting. And when you are in the field in whatever role, what is it that headquarters can best do in terms of support? Oh, well, sure. I mean, there's, you know, there's a great synergy between the field and headquarters. You know, when you are more what we call the tip of the spear, if you're spotting, assessing and recruiting and handling agents, you know, foreigners who spy for the United States, you know, that's the raw intelligence that we would collect in the field when you send into headquarters where we have this tremendous analytic component who kind of makes sense out of it all. So they'll look at our human intelligence, but they'll also marry it up with other all source intelligence. And then they put together what is most required, which is, uh, you know, papers or briefings for policymakers. And when the intelligence community is really humming, you know, our true role is, uh, is support to policy. And having been there 26 years, that was probably four, perhaps five administrations that you served under. And they always have politics going back and forth with the intelligence community and the CIA. Did it seem at the level you operated at that that was pretty much kept apart from the people doing the work day to day and year after year? Absolutely. And, and, you know, that's the one thing. So, you know, obviously, we're at the end of the Trump administration, the beginning of the Biden administration. But one of the things that I've consistently spoken about, even in retirement, I retired in July 2019. And I've been very active in, in speaking to the public, you know, everything I do gets cleared by the CIA's Publications Review Board. But when I do speak, one of the things I talk about is that we really are an apolitical organization. So I served four different administrations. But I'll tell you, you know, you're so busy, whether you're at headquarters, or especially overseas, you really don't have time to worry about politics. I think this most recent administration with a president who was very active on Twitter, certainly made things more interesting. But really, one of the one of the great hallmarks of the CIA and the intelligence community in general is that, you know, people just put their heads down and and get to business of intelligence. And you try to really try to push any kind of politics aside. And from the standpoint of someone who did intelligence on a day to day basis, what's your best advice for the incoming team in the IC and at the CIA? First and foremost, I think our new DNI, Avril Haynes, who is a you know a veteran of the national security apparatus, of course, former deputy director, but also a lot of time at the NSC and at State. I mean, this is a fantastic choice because she really knows how to integrate uh, you know intelligence into policy. She knows our foreign partners very well, so uh, I think that will be uh, you know that she will she will be a great success. And then for Bill Burns, the CIA director designate. What a fantastic choice! You know, he's an ambassador in two major posts in the past in Moscow and in Amman, so he knows about what intelligence collection really means. And then, of course, he served in policy roles back in Washington, so he knows how intelligence can help 
shape and formulate policy. So I think there's, a, there's an excellent team coming in. I think both will be very apolitical, and I think they'll find a warm welcome from the intelligence community employees. We're speaking with Mark Polymeropoulos. He's a 26-year veteran of the CIA and author of a new book, Clarity in Crisis, about his experiences and mainly about leadership, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And you were also a victim of the magnetic radio wave beaming that affected CIA and State Department employees in 27 and 2018, causing brain damage. What did you experience, and what's your status so far? So this is, you know, this is the hardest thing for me really to talk about. I was unfortunately kind of compelled to go public about this because I was not getting the, the medical care that I really needed and sought. And so, you know, I, you know, I, had a, I took a trip to, to Moscow in December of 2017, and there was an event there that certainly changed my life. I suffer now from, you know, migraine headaches that never go away. They're 24-7 for the last three years. Uh, it's particularly, for, you know, for whatever reason, I've been going through a pretty bad spell now, so my head's killing me. On a good note is the agency has, has relented after I, I did go public with my grievances, and I, so I am going to the Walter Reed Traumatic Brain Injury Center for a month of outpatient treatment, which is really the place where I need to go. And so it's been a really tough road for me, but you know, the one thing that I'm most focused on, not only is in terms of my health, but also that this issue gets attention, that those who uh, have been affected in the past, and as Senator you know, Shaheen, who is very much uh, involved in this issue, as she has said publicly, that it's continuing to happen. So um, we just really need to make sure that our federal officials, who you know really bravely serve overseas, that if these things do happen, that they get medical care. That's first and foremost in my mind. Did your injury occur in a hotel room or in an embassy? I mean, what happened? It did. It was in a hotel room uh, in Moscow. It was you know I I was awakened uh, you know to terrible case of, of vertigo, tinnitus, nausea, you know headaches, and you know it started a three-year medical journey where I've seen you know countless doctors. I've, I've had you know multiple imaging, MRIs, etc. But the fact of the matter is I've had a, a, you know, a migraine headache for three years now that does not go away. And that's, you know, that's been taken quite a, quite a kind of not only you know, physical but also you know, mental, emotional toll. You know, my going to Walter Reed is, you know, for me, really important because uh, I need to figure out a way. Not necessarily, you know, I, I'm not as concerned on the who did this part. Um, that's something for the intelligence community to find out. I'm concerned on treatment for myself and, uh, and for others. But at the first occurrence, you sense that directional quality of the radiation that other people have reported? You know, who knows? So I, I think my symptoms were a little different than those that, you know, I've, I've heard about who experienced it in Havana. But one of the key points on that is, you know, there was a big study that came out from the National Academy of Sciences, which talked about their conclusion was that it was, you know, a likely, uh, you know, uh, microwave uh, radiation, microwave weapon that caused this. But one of the important other pieces in that was that every individual, every, everyone's individual body composition is different. So everyone's going to react to it differently. So the fact that I don't look exactly like some of the Havana victims is not necessarily because I was not affected. I think that study gave us, a lot of us who've been, you know, who've been hit by this, you know, a feeling, a, a lot of hope in that, that, you know, look, a lot of people think we're crazy when we're talking about this stuff. You know, this, this sounds like that of a science fiction movie, but the bottom line is a lot of people are sick, so they really need treatment. And so the NAS study, I think, was really important in that it gave us a, a lot more legitimacy as we move forward. And we interviewed Dr. David Relman of the Palo Alto Veterans Affairs Health System on that very topic just a couple of weeks ago, and we'll have a link to that interview as well. And you have a book on leadership. It's more a book on leadership than telling sure. what you did and experienced in the CIA. Yes, I do. So I wrote a book, and one of my passions at the end of my career was mentoring. And, you know, I thought I made a lot of mistakes in my career, but I, you know, I thought I was a very good leader, so I, I wanted to kind of put that forward to the general public. And so it's, you know, it's not a book about any kind of heroism. In fact, uh, most of my leadership principles talk about, you know, how do you deal with adversity and, and how to overcome failing. 
and really learning how to lead in times of ambiguity and crisis. So it's, it's coming out. HarperCollins is publishing it in June. It's called Clarity in Crisis, and I'm really excited about this um, because, again, it's, I think it's, it's, it's going to be applicable to all walks of life. Uh, you know, we see a lot of you know, former you know, U.S. military, U.S. military special operations personnel writing books on leadership, but there's not that many from the intelligence community. So I, I hope people will be interested in this, and you know, I can pass on some of my wisdom um, that I learned over, you know, over working in really dark, dark places in the third world. And, and again, it's not a book about, about myself. It's not a book about any kind of heroism. It's much more about you know, leading under fire and, and, and learning from mistakes and learning from adversity. And, and, and I talk about the one principle that I, I believe in the most is, uh, is humility. And my final question is for those that might be considering a career in the intelligence community and the federal government has recruiting, not so much recruiting problems, but talent skill acquisition challenges from time to time. What's the selling proposition for a career in the intelligence community or at the CIA in particular? This is a fantastic question. And let's put aside, you know, my, my, you know, my health issues, you know, at the end of my career. Look, you know, I, I risk my life in a lot of places, whether it's Iraq and Afghanistan. So, you know, things finally caught up to me. So just, you know, leave that aside. But I'll tell you that, you know, I, I talk to college students all the time. I talk to a, a lot of young Americans who I stress that, you know, joining the intelligence community, it was the greatest honor of my life. I think it's, it's a fantastic career. You know, not only did I see the world, but, you know, experience different cultures. You get to serve your country. And I'll tell you, and I always, I love this story of, of you know, I was, I was serving in the third world in a, in, a, in a country in which, you know, we had a very ad- adverse relationship um, and I remember walking down the street and just seeing the silhouette of the American flag, uh, you know, lit up at, at the U.S. Embassy. And, uh, and boy, that was, uh, that was motivating to me. So I love talking to young folks. I would encourage, you know, a career look, you're, you're, not, gonna, you're not going to Google or, or Apple. You're not going to make millions. Um, but you get to serve your country. And to me, you know, that still, you know, certainly resonates. You know, it was the greatest honor of my life doing so. And so I would encourage it. And I, I still will talk about this until, you know, my last breath. Um, that there's nothing like federal service, and, and particularly the intelligence community was just a tremendous place to make a career. Mark Polymeropoulos is a 26-year veteran of the CIA and author of a book just out. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much. Have a great day. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.